Hello and welcome to the Euro Trips podcast. We are back for more European football chat across the last week in both domestic and European football. Um, so I'm, I'm your host Andy, and once again I'm joined by our usuals. Um, so how are you, boys? Doing very good. Very good. Great. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, this week we're just going to do our, our usual stuff. We're going to do our usual chat, um, and the first thing we're going to go to this week is once again to Germany. So, Jonathan, what's been happening in the Bundesliga the last seven days? Well, I think this last match day we had this past weekend was was probably the most fascinating match day we've had all season up to this point. Mm. Um, of course, it was headlined by Der Klassiker, but I want to start first with the Friday night game of Union Berlin and Leipzig. Uh, Union Berlin actually won 2-1. to one. Uh, Christopher Nkunku scored the only goal for Leipzig, and... Right after this game, Jesse Marsh was let go from his position. The American coach um, was seen as the next guy after Julian Nagelsmann to come in and take over. Um, he's a Red Bull boy. He's been in that system for a long time. He should know what to do. He had some great success at Salzburg, but he just couldn't get the job done. They're 11th in the table. Uh, you know, if they don't get Champions League, that's a major major disappointment for Leipzig. So they've recently gone in a different direction. They hired a new coach uh, a day or two ago. He's from Schalke, and he also spent some time at Spartak Moscow recently. Dominico Tedesco is his name. It's going to be interesting. It's one of their first coaches in a long time, not from the Red Bull system. So we'll see how it pans out. He might not play that upbeat rock and roll style of football that a lot of Leipzig coaches and Leipzig fans are used to. So we'll see how that works out, but they've got a long ways to go. Uh, second game that I want to talk about is Leverkusen and Firth. Leverkusen destroyed this side 7-1. to one. Firth have one point, just one tie through 14 match days. They're looking like the worst team in Bundesliga history. They might be challenging that record that Schalke almost broke last year. Tasmania Berlin still holds the record for most Bundesliga losses in a row. I think it's 32 or something like that consecutive games. Firth are really, really bad. I still regret not starting Patrick Schick in my Bundesliga fantasy squad. He had four goals. Um, and they're just, they were just on fire. It was a joy to watch. And they seem to be returning to form after a couple weeks of a few hiccups here and there. Um, but yeah, Firth, I don't know what to say. It's atrocious. Hoffenheim and Frankfurt. Hoffenheim took home the victory 3-2. Hoffenheim continue their winning ways. They're fifth in the table right now. It's going to be an interesting matchup this upcoming weekend with Hoffenheim and Freiburg, two clubs at the top of the table who most before the season started would have never expected. They won 3-2 to two against Frankfurt. 19-year-old Jorginho Ruter is a Frenchman. He's been incredible these last couple of games. A couple of goals, a couple of assists. He can do it all from the wing up the middle. I guess he'll make a move to maybe PSG or the Premier League in a couple of years, but he's, he's one to look out for in the coming years. They've got six wins in the last eight games, and they're absolutely flying. Mainz, after almost getting relegated last year, are shooting up the table. They just beat Wolfsburg 3-0. Wolfsburg, of course, went out in the Champions League. They didn't even get third place to get the Europa League yesterday. as They got killed by Lille, and, and they're still a mess. They recently got Florian Kofeld, former Werder Bremen boss, as their new coach, but Mainz absolutely destroyed them. Wolfsburg needs some help in that midfield. They've had a couple of injuries in a defense that it just looks so unorganized. I'm very scared for Wolfsburg fans. If they don't get at least the Europa League, uh, the season will be a complete disaster. And of course, as a Freiburg fan, uh, the Freiburg-Gladbach game on Sunday uh, was one of the craziest games I've seen in some time. Freiburg won 6-0. They had two goals through five minutes. Five goals through 25 minutes just in the first half and six goals in those first 45 minutes. And their XG for the first half was only two and a half. Speechless, really. Four of those five goals um, in those first 25 minutes came from set pieces. Just horrific Gladbach defending. And this is a Gladbach side that that are good. They're talented. they got Dennis Zacharia, who will probably go to Liverpool in the summer. Uh, Mateus Ginter. They're a good, talented team. And to lose 6-0 at halftime at home to, to Freiburg is really, really worrying. Uh, I mean, Gladbach, our team, they beat Bayern 5-0 in the Cup just, just a month ago. Uh, it's really, really strange, that game. But 
I loved it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And finally, Der Klassiker. It's always a crazy, crazy affair. Bayern took home the victory 3-2. to two. Dortmund were in a 4-2-3-1 formation. Um, it was interesting. Bellingham was sort of playing a little more forward than usual up on that left wing. It's interesting to see Goretzka playing for Bayern. He wasn't expected to play before the game started with a nagging injury. There was a great goals by Julian Brandt, and Erling Holland, of course. Lewandowski put away two, and Kingsley Coman. So scary off that right wing. I just felt Dortmund again. It's those defensive mistakes. Mats Hummels and Emery, Sean, so many mistakes throughout the game. Some really bad passes. Hummels had that handball that was really difficult to tell if it was a handball after the game. Holland said it was a scandal. Bellingham accused the referee of, of match fixing before, which he did in 2005. He was actually investigated by the German police for those comments and was fined $40,000 in the end. I thought that was hilarious. But, I mean, the way the calls were called on the pitch, I felt were fair. If they were called the other way around and went to VAR, I don't think they would have changed them. The call should have stood on the pitch. But I understand Dortmund's fans' frustration with the situation. Uh, I think the best part of the match actually were these pigeons that were wouldn't stop flying around the pitch on the TV screen. I thought that was hilarious. Just, of course, something else to look at while the game was happening. But yeah, what a match. Bayern will not will not lose anytime soon. They're on a roll right now. They're going to win the title again this year. Dortmund are just a little bit behind again. And yeah, it was a crazy weekend. I'm excited for what this next one holds for us. Yeah, I'd agree because I actually, I don't know whether anyone saw my tweet, I actually didn't actually watch Premier League on Saturday night. I actually, for once, watched Bundesliga over Premier League. So obviously it was only watched in Man City, so it wasn't exactly an exciting game at half five. So I did turn into the, uh, tune into the Bayern Dorman game. I thought it was it was really good, really impressive. Um, as every, every bit as good as I thought it'd be when I, when I turned it on. So I thought it was both teams. I thought Dorman looked good as well, but I thought Bayern just showed their class. They did the same thing again. Um, in the Champions League this week against Barcelona. So I think they're probably, for me, maybe the best, if not one of the best, certainly one of the best teams in Europe at the moment on current form. They're looking like they, they, they could be, once again, one of the top contenders for the Champions League. Um, but yeah, so that is um, the German league, uh, football roundup. So thank you for that, Jonathan, once again. Um, so the next thing we're going to focus on is the Premier League. So um, in terms of last week, there was... Um, a bit of a shock on the early kickoff on the Saturday. West Ham United beat Chelsea 3-2. Um, Chelsea did take the lead through um, Thiago Silva before Lanzini equalised. And Mason Mount scored a wonderful goal to make it 2-1 before half-time, before uh, Jared Bowen did equalise with a brilliant finish, before um, a goal for Masuaku, which won the game with, I believe, it was 10 minutes left to go. Um, slightly questionable whether it was meant to go in or not. I... I that doesn't anyone know whether Masuaku meant to cross it in or whether he meant to, to shoot. So it's um, one of that weekend's great mysteries. Um, Newcastle got their, got a win. Uh, they beat Burnley 1-0 thanks to a goal from Callum Wilson. Uh, Southampton and Brighton drew 1-1 with a last-minute equaliser from Neil Morpai after Brozier gave Southampton the lead. Liverpool scored a last-minute winner from, once again, the, the man they always rely on in the last minute, Divock Origi, scored a 94th-minute winner at Molyneux. And in the game I mentioned before, Watford-Man City, it, it finished 3-1 to Man City. Um, two goals in Bernardo Silva. One was an excellent finish from the Portuguese player, who's in spectacular form right now. Uh, and then Raheem Sterling got City's other goal, with a consolation goal from, from Chucho as well. Um in terms of the Sunday games, um, Leeds and Brentford played out a 2-2 draw with Patrick Bamford and Tyler Roberts getting the goals for Leeds and Sergi Canos and Baptiste getting a goal for Brentford with Bamford's goal. Again, a last-minute uh, equaliser. Uh, Man U won their first game under Ra- new manager Ralph Ragnick with a 1-0 win thanks to Fred, who scored a wonderful goal. Um, Spurs uh, got back to winning ways after a postponed game against Burnley. They beat Norwich 3-0 with goals from Son, Lucas Moura and... Uh, Davison Sanchez with the goal from Lucas Moura, one of the best of the season, I, I'm calling it right now. Uh, but questions do remain of the Spurs about their um, future games because of a COVID outbreak, which has seen up to 13 players ruled out with COVID. So I think in terms of their game, I think their game tonight has been called off with Rend recording this podcast on a Thursday night. And then I think they're playing us on the following Sunday. So that's, that's probably in doubt as well, as is their game coming up on Sunday away to Brighton. Um and yeah, the other game on Sunday saw um, Stephen Gerrard get a better of his former manager as Aston Villa beat Leicester 2-1. Uh, 
thanks to two goals from Conte and a goal from Harvey Barnes, which is a brilliant finish from from the young man. Um, and then finally on, on Monday night, uh, Everton beat Arsenal 2-1 with a last-minute winner from Demarai Gray. They got the lead through Udegaard before Carlson finally scored after two goals moved out through VAR. And then Demarai Gray scored the winner in the 92nd minute. And it was a wonderful, wonderful finish from, from that man as well. Um, so, yeah, that does conclude the Premier League roundup. I think I just want to praise, certainly West Ham, I want to praise first of all, because I think they've... They had that great season last year. I mean, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people may have thought that was it for them, that was their ceiling, but they seem to have exceeded that this season. The Moyes, I praised Moyes before, and I'm, I want to praise them again because um, now they've beaten Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, and Man United in the League Cup, and they've beaten Spurs as well. They've beaten some great, brilliant teams this season. And I think that that is credit to, to, to the West Ham team. I think they show a lot of fight. They've got a lot of Solid players. I think they've really built a really nice squad. The recruitment's been excellent. I mean, the players they've bought over the last two years has been brilliant. I think Jesse Lingard's been linked with a permanent move. I think now he's leaving Man United. I think it's, um, you know, I, I think we could see him back in a West Ham shirt. Um, and yeah, I really do think West Ham uh, have a lot of praise about it. And I think that's made that their wins made the title race all that more exciting because it's only two or three points separating Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City in that top three. So, it's really exciting at the top. I think at the bottom as well, it really is exciting because I think you've got, um, I think obviously Norwich had that good run as well, but they're probably still going to go down. They've probably had their little little bounce period under Dean Smith, but I think they're they're probably not not quite enough there. And I think apart from that, I think the other two spots really are for grabs. I mean, you can't really decide, I don't think, between any of the teams that are in and around that area. I think there's so many teams that are in this relegation battle that really... You could say any of them really to go down. I mean, I'm convinced. I've been mean, saying this for a few weeks. I'm convinced Leeds will go down, uh, and they're currently in 15th, but only um, let's have a look. They're only not far off the bottom three. So they've got Coney. Leeds have got Coney 16 points, whereas 18th place Burnley have 10. So it's, it's six points, but there's a long way the season left to go. And I think that maybe with Bamford back, maybe this may help them stay up. Uh, but apart from that, I mean, they've got Burnley, Newcastle, Watford, Southampton. I mean, Southampton, I think, personally, will be in good good enough to stay up. But I think, you know, Watford, Burnley, Newcastle, I think, are the three teams you have to worry about in that battle as well. And I really do think um, it could be anyone, really. And I think that it is shaping up, really, for me to be a really good season. I think that, touch of words, so far this season, the title race for once seems to be wide open, which it hasn't been very often in the last five, ten years. I think the relegation battle is always exciting. And I think, once again... It is only three points separating 17th and 20th, only six points separating 20th and 16th. So it's for me, it's really exciting. Um, and in terms of the Champions League performances, I think um, Chelsea blew their chance of a uh, top place in the, in the in the in the division in this or in their group stage group with um, a last minute equaliser from from Stenet St Petersburg, meaning Chelsea finished second, and they face a tough tough um, potential lot of teams they could play in the last 16. Uh, Liverpool became the first team in English football history to go all six games unbeaten and to win all of them as well in what was seen as a group of death before the tournament started. Man City may have lost, but they still got top place ahead of PSG. And then Manu drew 1-1 and they, again, were top of the table. And there's actually a really good, for me, a good, nice heartwarming moment from this game because late on, uh, Charlie Savage, son of Robbie, came on with Robbie in the actual um, commentating booth. And he actually was... Um, doing the analysis whilst he came on so I thought that was a really good moment for the Savage family but also just really good I think for a lot of these youngsters that came off that came on, came on and played in this game I think it was good to see um, from that point of view some youngsters play through but that is my Premier League roundup for this week so we are going to go next to what's been happening no 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 we're not we're not we're not we're not going past I, I just want to make sure if anyone else um, anyone else clocked Andy's summary of the Arsenal game, which is a great Premier League summer plan, dude. Ryan, please tell me you also caught um, Demery Gray, Odegaard and Ricarlison. Please tell me I wasn't the only one who caught three commentator mispronunciations in one go. What, from on the on the live coverage? No, from you just now. From me? <laughs> yeah. Ryan, you, you, I hear you snickering. You saw it. You heard it as well, didn't you? Yeah. Also, <laughs> okay, well, I, I Demar Gray, Carlison, and Odegaard. Is that is that right? No, <laughs> it would be. Oh, go on, it, Mr. Pronunciation Expert. How's it go? Oh, okay. It'd be Demar Gray. Uh, because there's an, there's an I at the end. 
is it Richarlison? Um, That's what I said. That's what I said, wasn't it? No, you said for Carlison. Put a K in there. And uh, it'd be Erdegaard, because it's got an O with a line for it. Um, Yeah, so I just didn't want to let that one go. Well, that is the height of nitpicking, if I must say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's only because it was all three in a row, and I was like, you've done well there. Well, I I did something right, at least. But um, no, I, I think that's... I don't know. I feel like if I start speaking <laughs> in, a, in a Brazilian accent, I think that's probably not not the best thing to do. So I think stick stick to what I know, speak in a British way, and just and just murder any other language that I, I speak. <laughs> <laughs> what what um, next? Sorry, go on. No, it's fine. Well, since you since you perked up, we might as well go to you next, Alex. I think oh, you, okay. uh, cl- you you clearly want to speak next. So I'll, I'll I'll give you the rein. So um, I actually saw. Um, a good stat from the Lille striker who's got quite a few goals this, this season. So what's been happening in Ligue 1, Alex? Oh, you've led me straight on to Lille then. I'll talk about them. Well, Lille qualified for the Champions League group um, knockout stages for the first time in their history. Big ups to them. And then obviously a big part of that was their striker, Jonathan David, who we spoke about before on this podcast. I think it was last season when Lille cruised to the title um, on the final day. But... David, is, I think he's the top scorer in France in the calendar year of 2021. He's the top scorer in the league, actually, right now, of 11 goals. He And to put that into context, I believe that is four ahead. Yeah, it is four ahead of Kylian Mbappe, who's on seven. He's very clear, actually. And David, 11 goals in 13 games. He scored again midweek as uh, Lille beat Wolfsburg. As I said, they topped their group. Brock Yilmaz scoring as well. Uh, there's another team, though, to highlight in Liga and I thought, which is Ren. I watched Ren at the weekend defeat uh, San Etienne away from home 5-0. And it finally got the old melting candle, Claude Puel, sacked. Uh, I think the club finally managed to get the budget to sack him. But, yeah, Ren, there's a player that's been grabbing a few headlines called Lovren Mayer. Um He was at Croatia. Uh, wait, plays Croatia. And he was at Dinamo Zagreb last season. And he he hasn't played too many minutes yet, but he got three assists at the weekend and he should have had four. He was mesmeric. I think he's 23 years old. So he's been deployed more on the wing, but kind of comes inside as a midfielder. He's much more of a central midfielder. I, I'm expecting him to be picked up by a big club like sooner or later. He's, he's clearly the jewel in uh, that crown of uh, Ren. Uh, to touch over to the other teams as well. Um, PSG, they uh, drew with Lons on Saturday evening. Uh, that came after a draw with Nice earlier in the week, which, yeah, you know, it shrinks their their lead over Liga to 11 points because uh, Pochettino has been doing well to get the wins in fairness. But it is worth saying this has been in the Champions League. It is the worst performance of any PSG team, what points was, uh, of any PSG manager in the Qatari era. Um I think, I think they finished second in the end. We get 11 points. And in the league, the, the pressure continues to mount for him. It's, it's beginning to build up. It's beginning to feel a bit more realistic. There was actually rumours midweek of Pochettino being sacked. Zidane coming in and get this, Arsene Wenger as sporting director. I don't see it because I think Arsene Wenger's lost his marbles. But I'll open that one up to uh, you guys. Ryan's been a bit quiet so far. Open that up. Ryan, do you, do you like the idea of that? I love the idea of that. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I see. I like Wenger, but do you not think after all these, this World Cup should be put to two years, seventy-two years? Do you not think after that it's like, I don't know, he's either been corrupted by UEFA or he's out of touch. I mean, a lot of people were against that, but then again, there's a lot of people for it. I know. So yeah, but their, their, their names are like. Their, their, their names are ones on UEFA's list who will get lots of money and FIFA's list. Sorry, I should. Yeah, say. but you don't know whether it's obviously spawned from him if it's actually his idea or if it's someone from FIFA who have pretty much sort of told him to mm-hmm. to go to go with it kind of thing. So I don't know about I don't know about that, but I I personally don't think it would it would happen. He said himself he doesn't intend to go back to any kind of club management side of things, maybe a national team. So I'd be surprised. But then again, he's got, you know, links to Qatar. He's worked on BN Sport quite often. Mm. Knows PSG quite well, I suppose. Obviously, he's down quite well. So, yeah, I mean, it, 
be interesting. They'd win the Champions League without a shadow of a doubt. But oh, yeah, I didn't think of the Qatar connection though. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've been actually doing a lot of um, looking into this recently for my university course and how uh, obviously Beckham's role in the Qatari World Cup, how uh, obviously they're using him as an ambassador, to try, and I think they're. There's a lot of sort of propaganda from videos you see about them really trying to promote Qatar as a country and trying to sort of build that sort of reputation of the country up in terms of tourism and getting people to come to the World Cup next year. And I think it wouldn't surprise if they go for someone else to sort of increase that sort of, um, what's the word, that, um, increase that sort of PR? worldwide knowledge and worldwide sort of broadcasting of the country. And I think if they get someone like Arsene Wenger and I think that's only going to increase the reputation of the country is going to increase or people who, who are interested in going to Qatar. So I think um, you see a lot of countries in the past, you see a lot with Olympic ceremonies and like um, World Cup opening ceremonies that a lot of countries do try and use sort of, use big worldwide events to try and um, promote their country. And I think that them getting big names like Beckham, like Wenger involved, I think will, will, will help that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do go down the route of trying to get Wenger in, but I personally can't see, can't see him leaving his role right now to go and, Try to think of. I think he's fine where he is. I think he's got a new role. He seems to be quite involved in that. So I, I personally don't see him leaving what he's got right now to, to go and try a new challenge. I think he's too old to try new challenges. I think he, where he is now, I think he'll stay there until he eventually he dies. <laughs> oh, that that as well. Maybe that as well. I hope he doesn't happen for a, for a number of years. But um, you, you mentioned PSG. I want to get your thoughts on this because reports came out yesterday of a player they signed in the summer. Um, Genie Wijnaldum mm. already been um, open to the idea of being going back to the Premier League, um, and obviously I think Arsenal being the team most mostly mentioned. I think obviously ourselves as well have been mentioned quite a bit for obvious reasons. Um, and as someone who watches Liga on a regular basis, Alex, um, how has he played? Because I've not seen any of them. I've not watched any Liga and football this year. I've not really seen them in the Champions League because they've played the same day as Liverpool. So how has he played? And is is he, is it been that bad that he's already been linked with a move away? Great question. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. So for anyone listening and, and you guys, the background really is. So Van Adam was one of the first signings really this l- l- last summer. And it was when I think Ramos had come along, come in alongside. So had Donnarumma. Um, but at this point, you've got to think. Mbappe, even though they're determined to keep it, don't know if he was leaving. He had Neymar in there. The picture I'm trying to paint is that the attack wasn't overloaded. I think Pochettino going forward kind of wanted a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 with Vinaldum as the more attacking midfielder, either in the, the sort of the 10 slot in 4-2-3-1 or the, would like to play as the Netherlands or like a left side in a 4-3-3. And he started the season like that. But then Messi came in. And what's happened is that PSG have a choice of either dropping one of Messi, Di Maria, Neymar and Mbappe and playing Wijnaldum with like two other midfielders like Herrera and Gay because he's not going to be able to do a lot of defensive work. Wijnaldum doesn't really do too many tackles, interceptions. Or the alternative is they drop Wijnaldum, have that magic front four and just have two like in, in Gay, Verratti or Herrera, two defensive powerhouses that can cover for the the lack of pressing from the front row. And we know Pochettino as well, He's he hasn't named the same starting eleven twice this season. It's been a different lineup every single game, I believe. So what's happened is Pochettino hasn't really got a plan of what to do with this squad. And Vijnaldum's kind of suffered because there's not really a position for him anymore. So it makes perfect sense why PSG are now urgently being like, well, he's not really working in the team. He's He hasn't got a place. And Vijnaldum on himself would be saying, I'm not going to be able to get game time here. I can see why I'd... I can see exactly why he wants to leave out on loan at least. It's 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 almost an identical situation to Ronaldo at United. Solskjaer, I believe, had his team set up the way he wanted to before Ronaldo came in, and it's almost like he Ronaldo was brought in not not over his head, but unexpectedly, and he had to put Ronaldo into that team, and ultimately it's destroyed the balance of the team which is kind of what has happened with Messi at PSG in my opinion the team you know you put either of those players in and, you, and you've got to then you're losing one other player pretty much from that squad and both squads have world-class players so it's almost like a world-class player has to miss out nearly every other game which leads to obviously these problems 
Yeah, I think it's spot on. I think I get the whole thing about Ronaldo, but I think at the same time with Ronaldo, I think that I get the whole thing about the, the team balance and stuff like that. But I do think that if he wasn't at Man United, all the late goals he scored, particularly in the Champions League, I do feel that if he wasn't there, they'd have been a lot worse. They maybe wouldn't even qualify for the last 16 because I, I like Cavani, but, I don't, but Ronaldo, even though he's, everyone knows he's not the same player as we've seen in the past, everyone knows he's not that same you know, 40, 50 goals a year we saw with Real Madrid in, in his prime. But I do think that we saw it in the Euros, he was top goal scorer. And I think we've seen it this year where um, he just, he scored so many late goals, mainly in Champions League. And I think that Manu Popov would be facing a lot worse situation if he wasn't there personally. But I do I mean, get what you're saying about the whole thing about the um, fact he doesn't track back and I'm all that, and the fact that he is also he's always all about him, isn't it, up front? But um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting him by any any stretch. I'm not saying it was a bad signing for United because it's, obviously it hasn't been. He's he's arguably been the best player, but we don't know how the team would have fared. Suppose, yeah. With, with, with a more balanced team, and obviously we would have maybe seen the likes of Sancho and Rashford, um, Fernandez and Pogba play a lot better in a more balanced team rather than just having Ronaldo as your vocal point and hitting it up to him. Yeah, so I was that- going to say, I think I think every signing uh, has positives and negatives, and the point really is to try and prepare for those negatives. And in Messi and Ronaldo's case, they both came in as late signings and the coach didn't have time to prepare for the negatives. So they're, they're just getting the full front. They're getting a full front of the negatives without really, especially in PSG's case, without really like exposing Messi's strong points. They, he's Messi's just been... He's, he played better this week, Champions League. But so far, he's, just kind of, he's probably been a more negative effect on PSG than positive. Because... No club was planning to bring either of those two players in. Messi came in late because obviously he couldn't agree a new deal with Barca. He wasn't going to go anywhere else. And Ronaldo's gone to United because they didn't want to see him at City. That, that's the only reason yeah, United brought him in. Yeah, if I even look at, look at ourselves, when, when we sold Suarez, we didn't get any replacement in until we signed Balotelli on deadline day. And that was clearly a panic buy. And I think that... Um, we saw a similar effect with that. The fact that if you don't prepare for certain players coming in, then you know you know what you're going to get. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that um, I, I do think Portugal gets sacked. I really do think that his time is getting more and more increasingly, you know, increasingly bad. And I do think that I think they'll keep him in until they get knocked out. I think if they get knocked out of Champions League, I think it'll be at, at that point. I think whilst they're still in it, I think they'll, they'll keep him. But then if Zidane's available, someone who's won it three or four times already and knows how to handle big egos like Zidane had at Madrid with like Ramos, Ronaldo, Benzema, Varane, Casillas for a little bit and then um, Keil Navas and all that afterwards. So, so yeah, I think Zidane will be a perfect replacement for Poch if he is to get sacked. Um, and then where Poch goes, I don't know. Pen, I think it depends if, how Ratnik does with Manu. I think if, I... if Ratnik does well, then I, I, I can't see them getting rid of him. I think they'll keep him if Ragnick does well, but if he doesn't do well, then I think they'll probably get Poch in the summer. If I had a house, I would bet it on Pochettino being Man United manager next summer, Zidane being at yeah. PSG, because Rang- Ragnick's only there on a six-month deal, but mm. he isn't really a manager. He is more of a sporting director or director right, okay, football. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a, I think that's a short-term thing for me. Maybe Ten Hag at Arsenal? Oh, please. <laughs> that would be a great point. That would be a brilliant appointment. That'll be brilliant. Someone who knows how to play good football as well. You know, he's playing good football at Ajax and he's made Tallet back to what he what everyone thought he was before West Ham. So yeah. He can bring over he can bring over Mars and Burkamp with him as well. What to um to, to, to make a turn to the pitch? Oh no. Uh, <laughs> obviously over Mars is a is a great director of football and yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. Burkamp's a a good coach as well. I mean I will say, because uh, that is obviously a popular thought. Um Overmars did yesterday sign a contract till 2026. Well, we all know how how uh, little contracts mean these days in football. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we'd get rid of Edu anyway. I don't think Edu's done a bad job, any to be honest either. Um, you know, and I'm not totally Arteta out yet, but starting to lean that way, especially after the Monday's result. Yeah, that was a pretty poor performance and. Just on one thing I went out of before we do leave, I was looking at the stats actually. Pogba hasn't had an assist, um, I don't believe, since Ronaldo's come in. 
or goal for that matter. And then Fernandez's form has really dipped, isn't it, since since Ronaldo's joined? So um, they're, not, they're not the main men. Exactly. Yeah, Pogba always wanted the main man, but he, he never seems to be for Man U. But Fernandez was the main man. Yeah, ever since Ronaldo's come in, he's not been. It's because Pereira's not on penalties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he, yeah, he had his chance, didn't he? He had his chance against Villa and he messed that up. So um, I think Ronaldo's on penalties from now on. <laughs> um, so we won't, we'll, we'll stick with you, Ryan. Um, so what has been happening in Italy this week? Well, we kicked off the Serie A action with the title challenges Milan, who comfortably beat the bottom of the league, Salernitana 2 0, with both goals coming inside the first 20 minutes. Then in the first of two big games on the Saturday, Inter Milan smashed Roma 3-0 at the Olympico. Goals from Celanoglu, Edin Dzeko and the vastly improven uh, Dumfries sealed all three points before the first half whistle even went. The other title challengers, Napoli, were beaten in a five-goal thriller. 3-2 by Atalanta at the Diego Armando Maradona Stadium on this one-year anniversary since he sadly passed away. Um, the lead changed three times in that game. There was also some really odd substitutions by Spalletti later in the game. He took off Mertens and Lozano for Adamunas and uh, Petagina, which left them really lacking up front towards the end of the game. And you know, it was an end-to-end game, really, really entertaining, as they have been this season. But Sunday saw five games and ten teams in action, as Fiorentina put three past Bologna. And yes, Dusan Vlahovic scored another goal, albeit a penalty, but just continues to score every single game for Fiorentina at the moment. Uh, that game did end 3-2 to Laviola. Uh, Spezia and Sassuolo shared the points in a 2-2 draw. And then in arguably the game of the weekend, Verona came from 3-0 down to beat Venetia 4-3 um, in Venice. Venetia went 3-0 up in the first half with Verona getting their first goal just seven minutes into the second half. For an early red card for Pietro, Cesaroni saw the Venetians down to 10 men early in the second half. A penalty and then two goals from one of the most informed players this season in Giovanni Simeone secured the comeback and the three points for Verona. Uh, Lazio took three points with a 3-1 win away to Sampdoria with Super Chiro and Mobile scoring twice. And finally, the last day, or the last game, I should say, of the day, Saw Juventus snatch another win, uh, beating Genoa 2-0 at the Allianz Stadium with Juan Cuadrado scoring directly from a corner kick and Paolo Dybala scoring the second towards the end of the game in a comfortable win. Uh, Monday saw two games in action as Empoli beat Udinese 3-1 and Cagliari and Torino fought out a 1-1 draw. Um, After the weekend's results, we've got a new team at the top as AC Milan have gone a point clear of their city rivals Inter, who then are in turn one point clear of Napoli, who dropped down to third after dropping points in now back-to-back games, drawing with Swirlo and obviously then losing to Atlanta that weekend. Juve have moved up to fifth, but albeit still seven points off the top four. In terms of the goal-scoring charts, Immobile and Vlahovic are tied at the top with 13 goals apiece. But Giovanni Simeone, as I said, is creeping up there. He's now got 11 goals, having a really, really good season in a much poorer team than the other two respective players. But in terms of the European action, obviously, sadly, Milan will look knocked out of all European action for the rest of the season after they would beat 2-1 by Liverpool. And that's finishing bottom of a very tough group. However, somehow Juventus topped their group, winning five of their six games despite their poor form in Serie A. Inter were beaten at the Bernabeu 2-0, but they still come to be qualified in seconds. With the last Italian club, Atlanta, their fate is yet to be decided because their game last night with Villarreal was postponed due to the heavy snowfall. And they play in 20 minutes' time with either team capable of qualifying because Villarreal are in second at the moment with seven points. Atlanta are obviously in third on six points. But... Obviously, the Italians do have the home advantage. So it'll be interesting to see who does make it through because you, before yesterday, you could have said either team you know, would have had a good go of winning the Europa League. But with the amount of talent of teams that have now dropped from the Champions League, you'd imagine it's now going to be a lot harder for either of those teams to win that competition. But 
I suppose with the financial gains you get from the knockout rounds, they'll both be desperate to win. But as always, another interesting and thrilling weekend of Italian football. Yeah, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I've been looking at sort of, I was reading a report today and they called this, um, the article is called Marotta's latest transfer masterstroke. I mean, looking at one of the biggest deals in the summer was the transfer of Amelia Lukaku to Chelsea from Inter Milan. And Inter Milan got an exchange. They got Eden Dzeko, former Man City and Roma player, to, to name a few clubs he's played for. And fair play around, you actually one of the ones to call Lukaku potential flop of the season. And so far, it's not looking great for him because I think the amount of money he's put in, albeit injury has been a factor. But looking at the stats he's had so far, he's scored... Five goals in 15 games in all competitions, three and ten in the Premier League, whereas Eden Dzeko has um, 11 goals in 22 games uh, and he's had eight goals in 16 games in Serie A. So, um, obviously, Eden Dzeko was a free transfer as well. And obviously, Lukaku was 97.2.5 million. Um, I think it was 103. Oh, was that in euros? I'm not sure, but I, I think... No, no, in pounds. I checked it the other day. I wrote an article on why I was struggling at Chelsea, and I, I was shocked as well. It's £100 million. Pounds. Wow. I mean, that's just extraordinary, the fact that... I mean, uh, Lukaku is clearly a good player, but it just... I mean, he, sc- he scored against I Arsenal, mean, against Villa, but apart from that, I've I don't got, think he scored against anyone in the league. I've got some insights to that. I'm sure Ryan could feel free to interact and chip in as well if you agree with it or disagree, but... So I wrote an article about it on Saturday, a um, uh, quick one up. And basically, it's just because Chelsea's play style is nothing like what he succeeded with Inter. At Inter Milan last season, he had uh, Inter had like 52% of the ball. They were mainly relying on fantastically crafted counter-attacks. Lukaku was charging at undermanned defences. Um, at Chelsea, they're one of the most ball-dominant sides in the league. Lukaku is never on counter-attacks. He's forced to sustain pressure, whereas Inter is letting teams come onto them. Whereas Lukaku at Inter was running at defenders who were like running back towards their own goal. At Chelsea, he's got his back to the defenders on the edge of his own on the edge of their box. It's just like it's just such a it's such a system change that I'm not I, I don't think there's anything to do with him as a player. I just think it's it's quite silly in hindsight, Chelsea buying him in or bringing him in when there was Looking at it now, there's not much precedent that he'd recreate the same output he did in Italy. Yeah, I think there's always that classic example of players being good players not fitting in. You look at Juan's Baston Veron's time at Man U. I mean, um, you hear you hear reports of Man U players being in awe of him in training, especially when he first joined, and obviously the reputation he had when he was at was it Parma or that too? He was at before Man U, and I think that he. Um, he showed on Champions League games, man, knew how good he was. But something about his time in the Premier League just didn't work out. And I think that there are some players, and there's some players in football that just don't suit certain leagues. I mean, until recently, you could say the same thing about Thiago until recent thing for Liverpool. But I think that we see so many players that you know that they, they, they could do so well in the Premier League and then go to a different league and struggle, and vice versa. And I think um, it is really interesting how you know. Something with the exact same kind of same pitch, same ball. Some of these players just don't suit certain leagues. So it's it's really interesting to see how he'll do because he came in with a lot of hype. You know, obviously he's returned to Chelsea, left a boy, became became a man. All that sort of chat that went on going on when he joined, and obviously his great time in in the um, Inter's title win last year. So yeah, I, I'm really intrigued to see what what's going to happen with the end of the season, whether he actually performs or whether he's just going to be another one who's Chelsea number nines that do flop. We look at Kesman, you look at Shevchenko, Crespo, Torres, um, Higuain, Morata, all these number nines for Chelsea that have all struggled. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see what will happen with that. I mean, with with Dzeko, the same as Lukaku, because they are similar strikers in the way that they play. Lukaku was always more suited to the Inter Milan team because of the way that they set up, um, you know, they go with two strikers up front. They have the five in midfield and then obviously the three centre-backs. And, you know, when you had Hakimi last season, uh, you know, who was assistant for fun, you had Lotaro Martinez, who was also helping out Lukaku. It's a bit different, you know, set up at Chelsea. Uh, arguably, Lotaro Martinez is a lot better player than Timo Werner. But... I don't, Ed and, you know, Dzeko always scores wherever he goes. He scored for Roma when he was there. 
you know, he scored for Man City back in the day in the Premier League as well. He's, he is a natural goal scorer. Um, but as I say, it, it, it did strike me as a really strange move in the summer when it did happen because they invested, you know, a decent amount in Werner and it looked as almost like they were giving up on him straight away. And they brought Lukaku in, especially for such a a, a high fee. Um, I don't know. It, it could still obviously work for Lukaku. I just thought for the amount that they paid for him, I know he had a great season in Serie A, but it's a, it, they're vastly different leagues, you know, vastly different pace as well. Serie A is generally, you know, a lot slower than the Premier League, which doesn't suit someone like Lukaku, who obviously isn't um, the quickest on his day. So, yeah, I mean, and again, he only, he, he batted Arsenal at the start of the season because we had our, probably our two worst centre-backs playing, I believe, on that day. I can't remember. Um, but apart from that, he like I say, he hadn't really done a whole, a whole lot, to be honest. So, be interesting to see how he does carry on the season with Chelsea and if he can discover I, I definitely think it's more of a team because you also mentioned about leagues. So I think the only the only reason Lukaku is who he is is because he what what he did in the Premier League with Everton and West Brom. I mm-hmm. I hundred percent think I don't think it's to do the league necessarily. I just think it's um, Chelsea in the play style. And I, you mentioned it there, Ryan. I think um, speaking for Chelsea fans recently, and there is a growing discontent with their scouting department. You've got to think Havertz has come in and. He's not really lived up to the price yet. He still could and should. Werner's come in and it's plain they didn't really know what how they were going to use him. Uh, Lukaku's come in and it's pretty plain they didn't know how to use him either. Belang Sar's come in and a lot of Chelsea fans already want him out. There's a lot of... I feel like there's a growing discontent growing there. I wonder... Saul might be, as well. Sorry? Saul as well. Saul yeah, was a perfect example. This is where it came from because the head scout, Scott McCoughlin, uh, he'd said that he'd scouted Sal for two years and was so like happy about getting him in. And he's been awful. So mm. maybe there's something bubbling under the surface there. And again, you look, he, you know, sorry to interrupt you, but you know, they, again, you look at how Chelsea set up, especially in their last game, obviously they have, the, they play similar to Milan with three at the back, but their midfield is vastly different in the fact that they have the four flat midfielders plus the two in front, and then Lukaku as the vocal point at the top. But, obviously, Sal Niguez and Hudson-Odoi are very different to the likes of Ivan Perisic and Ashraf Hakimi, who obviously in it has. Um, again, I don't think they're playing, again, to his to his strengths because he had that partner last season in Lotaro Martinez. This season, he's pretty much up there on his own. He's got Ver, for some reason, Werner's playing almost in a number 10 role, which I don't get because he is a, he's a pressing forward normally. He's, some, he's, he's normally where Lukaku is, where he was for Leipzig anyway. Um, so again, I think, like I say, they are very, very different styles of play and I don't think the Chelsea one is, is suiting him at all. No, I think you look at Chelsea, going back to the whole transfer scenario, I think obviously Chilwell and Mendy have been the exception, but a lot of players they've bought haven't been great. And they look at the players that have been really good this year: um, Mason Mount. You look at um, Reese James. Look at a lot of these players that are playing well. A lot of these players coming in came through the academy. Yeah, exactly. Came through the academy, and I think that there's a lot to be praised about Chelsea's academy. And I think there's a lot to be praised about it because so many players have come through and done well. Whether that's at Chelsea's from well, look at Conor Gallagher this season for Palace. Um, I, I mean, it, look, look, look at the two players that came on yesterday at the same time in uh, Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech. Neither of them have really set you know, the world on fire in the Premier League, especially for how much they they mm. paid for uh, Pulisic and Ziyech. And again, they are both quality players, but it's almost like they don't know where to put all these players. And, you know, yeah. the sound against one, I really didn't get that. That makes zero sense why they brought him in because... They didn't need him. For no. Me. Um, no, Kante, Kante, Jorginho, you know, Mason Mound, all these players they've got in that position, they don't really need someone like him. And I think, um, I, I think personally, I can't see Saul's move be made permanent. I think that, no. I think he'll be, you know, he'll, I could even see his move being cut. I could even see them just say, you know what, 
this cut of losses get rid of you. I I can see personally him his his short his low bar being cut short and just terminated. I that's what I think. It's been that it's been that bad of a spell for him. I well, think that they well, much. Yeah, I mean, I want to before um before we jump to Naeem and his La Liga action. Uh, there's something I want to ask Alex actually. Um, obviously, it's, I mean Andy obviously can add his insight as well. Um, in terms of Arsenal's striker problem going forward, it's obviously it's likely Lacazette's going to go in the summer, if not in January. And Ketty is going to go. Balogun isn't ready. Martin, Martinelli and quite, you know, that centre forward Aubameyang is just going down and down and down. Obviously, we were linked. We've been linked to strikers left, right, and centre, and there's always these same names that are popping up. Um, I don't think Dusan Vlahovic is realistic as much as I would love to have him. Finally, a sane Arsenal fan. It's, it's well, it's, it's, it's. I don't see what we can offer him at the moment. What other clubs? You know, there's loads of other big clubs looking at him. You know, PSG have been linked as well, so he's not going to come to us over any of those teams. So we need to be realistic in that regards. But. The other two players that we, we linked with, I think, are more attainable. Obviously, Alexander Isaac, who would have to pay his release clause, which is £65 million, I think. And a player that you mentioned earlier, Jonathan Davids. Um, do, you, do you think either of those players would, would work at Arsenal? Uh, I, it's tricky. I, I think David David's tricky because he's played in the front two for Lille. And it's always a bit of a question of how are you going to adapt as a single striker? It's a small thing, but I'm, I don't know. Some research needs to be done on that because I feel like we see it fail at times. Um, mm-hmm. The other striker you mentioned, sorry? Alexander Isaac from That was it, yeah. See, Isaac, I remember looking at him with Naim on the podcast last season. And he, I think he had 13, 13 to 15 goals last year, but he had like a massive dry spell mm. and I think the, the consensus of Isaac is he's too raw at the moment to cost 65 mil I think the the, the answer to Arsenal striker issues I think could be Calvert-Lewin to be honest I think I think yeah. he'd be an interesting one we do keep getting linked to him again and I don't think Everton would would need a massive fee because although they're a rich club obviously they, they still need to comply with financial fair play and obviously yeah. spend stupid amounts of money obviously which haven't worked out and in order obviously for them to spend more they need to to therefore sell and i'd you know I, i'd be happy with calvert learn don't get me wrong but i just think that there's maybe more prolific ones out there i mean renato sanchez again is someone who keeps getting linked to arsenal and milan but again he's he's so injury prone you just don't really know what you're going to get from from him but even jonathan okone i know he's going to to Fiorentina, I thought that was a mad transfer for for, for Fiorentina because he's when I've watched him, although he's a little bit inconsistent. I mean, last night he was excellent for Lille. Yeah, he's brilliant. <laughs> I think that's a great sign for for Fiorentina for how much I think they paid about what between ten to fifteen million euros for him, roughly. I didn't realize it was actually confirmed. I didn't realize. I don't think. I don't. I don't through. think. I don't think it's 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 been it hasn't not obviously not been announced, but. Um, I saw everyone's favourite transfer expert. Um, I've forgotten his name now. Romano. That's it, Romano Fabrizio. Um, he said that it's pretty much a done deal. Uh, obviously, he says it doesn't affect um, Dusan Vlahovic because I don't think Vlahovic will go in January. I think if anything, he'll go next summer. But yeah, I thought that was a really, really good move for, for Fiorentina. But I don't. I don't I mean, are Lille in some kind of financial trouble or something? Because it seems that they keep selling these really, really good players and they're not getting massive fees apart from Pepe and um, Victor Osimhen. They're, they're still a bit muddy, but I think the thing with Oconi is his value has just plummeted. Like he's, he's, he was really poor last season, even when they won the title. Um, but I, I think their finances are a little better because they were commanding... When people were coming in for Sven Botman, they were saying, yeah, we need 30 mil. And... If they were that desperate, they probably would have sold for this. So maybe it's not too bad. He's been linked. He's been linked to Newcastle as well. Yeah, it's never fucking happening. 
If he, if, he, if he goes to Newcastle, his agent needs to be sacked. That's awful. This guy's playing like Champions League football. He just got to the knockout stage. He'll go, what, go to relegation threatened Eddie Howe's Newcastle in January. You're having a laugh. No chance. Yeah, I'd be, I'd, I'd definitely be surprised. But you look at their team, Lille, and they, they have, they've got so much talent. Um, Yusef, uh, Yuziki, Yuziski. Yuzichi, yeah, yeah. You got Yuzichi, it. yeah. Um, great, great talent. Uh, I've seen him a lot, obviously. Um, Amadou Onana. Yeah, he's just on. signed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a bad talent either. They got. It seems like they rebuilt their squad so well every season. Yeah, they have, and I think they're actually quite. There's something to be reckoned with this. Um, this Champions League. They're not a team that you any team would realistically want to draw because obviously they started really, really poor, both in both campaigns. But watching them last night, they the commentators themselves said like they're improving all the time. And, you know, I think they're going to be a, a tough team to beat. Yeah, especially because last season in the Europa League, they had, they they didn't want to play in the Europa League because they'll, they'll go into their first start in 10 years. In the league, it's unlikely they'll get champ- It's unlikely they'll get Europa League football this straight. So the fact they're in the Champions League, they're probably going to look at this and be like, let's, let's, let's give this a go. We can do something there. Yeah, I mean, even in, uh, that, that, that's a question we can actually ask. Um, who's going to win the Europa League? Oh, well, go on, Andy. See, we, we, we obviously we're, we're going to mention them in a bit, their league, but Barcelona are now amazingly now in Europa League football. So it's, um, I think they'll be, I think West Ham are a good shout. I mean, West Ham's current form, I think that you know, I think they'll be there. I think Atlanta or Villarreal, whoever makes gets third place, will be in with a shout as well. Sevilla, um, Sevilla, yeah, Sevilla. I think there's a lot of teams, obviously, Dortmund's a big one with Haaland and. They'll, they'll, they'll be up there as well. So I think there's a lot of good teams in this Europa League this year. Um, so, yes, it's, I, I don't know. I, th- I think, personally, I can't... I th- I don't think, I th- I'm going to go... I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say West Ham. I'm going to say West Ham. I think they've got a good spirit. I mentioned them, praise them, even in this podcast itself. I think West Ham... I think they, I think they can do it. I think they can do it, but... The trouble with West Ham is they don't have massive squad depth. They get a few injuries. They could be in a bit of bother, especially with Antonio up front, because they haven't really got a, a backup striker um, that does what he does. But um, I think I think Dortmund, I think, yeah. as long as they can keep Haaland fit, because Barcelona mm. definitely won't. They they are so, 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 so bad. They were like, it was like watching Arsenal against Bayern last night when they, they smashed were- us. They were terrible. They were dreadful last night watching our game. It was just so unrecognisable from the teams we've seen in the past, you know. And it's their first time in a tournament now since 2004. So it is um, it is incredible their fall from grace. I'm actually just laughing. I just finished an article about how it's gone bad for Barca the last five years, looking at their sort of transfer business and and um, thing like people got... In one summer, they bought Dembele, Coutinho, Paulinho and Nelson Semedo in one summer. And... Also, Tomato gone within three years, Palinu gone within one year, and Coutinho and Dembele haven't set the world alight, and they cost a combined uh, 265 million it's... euros between them. Also, that's a, a massive waste of that, that money they got from Neymar that same summer. So, yeah, it's... it seems to be a lot of it... just a lot it... of. It is funny. It's, fu- it's, it's funny, though, because it's only really recently where I've been actually playing football manager that I've really noticed about the financial rules in terms of the La Liga mm. um, squads because obviously they they only get a set amount per club in which they can you know register players due, obviously due to their wages and then every club is different they're not it's not one set wage for, for every club it's obviously depending on how much that club earns both commercially and through transfers and you know, a lot of things are put into it and it just stops clubs being able to throw stupid money around like Barcelona have done now and obviously that's what led them to the Messi situation yeah looking at also the, the sort of the what's it called the financial side of things for Barcelona um, ESPN reported on September 29th that they had to cut 300 million euros uh, from their spending limit and then in October it was reported that they were around 1.57 billion dollars in debt so it's going uh, to it's going to get much, much worse for them and oh, until, and, until it yeah. gets better. 
they've got yeah. so much so much young raw talent there but again they're not going to be out but i don't know why i don't know if you've seen on on twitter um el chingaro uh, that them, them you know massively controversial spanish people on that telly but it's funny because they were they were being linked to to harland oh, um, no way i think they are the last club at the moment he's going to go to well maybe not maybe arsenal might be but yeah Maybe, maybe Portsmouth or something, but uh, it's, I, I don't know why you leave Dortmund to play for Barca, albeit I know they're a much bigger club and I know it's to, to play for Barcelona, but they're not the Barcelona we've, we've grown to know the last 10 years. So I, I think if he's going to leave for anyone in Spain, it's going to be Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I still think Man City, purely, purely for their need for striker, but also the fact that Dad played for them for all those years. So um, I, I still think. I hope not. No, me, I, if, if he signs for them, that is the league. That's the league one. If he signs for City, I think yep. maybe not this year because maybe already halfway in. But certainly next year, if he signs them in the summer, or, or even signs a pre-contract agreement, I I think that's the league one. I can't see. That's the one thing they're missing is an out-and-out striker. Uh, and if he goes there, I I think that um, that is it. But talking of Barca Madrid, what's been happening in Spain, I'm. Hello, yes, so um, I'll quickly just run through the games this weekend. Um, quite a bit happened, but um, yeah, so one Friday night we had Granada, they played Deportivo. They got a 2-1 win thanks to a winner from Santiago Aris after Luis Ab- Abram got an own goal, what made it 1-1. He got his goal in the 86th minute. Sevilla, they played Villarreal at home. They got a 1-0 win thanks to a first-half goal from Lucas Acampos. Um Barcelona, they were at home to Real Betis and last weekend's hat-trick hero, Juan Mi, he got the winning goal in the 79th minute to uh, let them win 1-0 against Barcelona. Um, so that's Xavi's first defeat in the league so far this season. Atletico Madrid, yeah, so this was this was a shocking, uh, the shock of the weekend. I actually um, managed to actually watch most of the second half of this game. Uh, so obviously Atletico Madrid, they went 1-0 up in the second half. Thanks to Kuna, uh, 68th minute strike there. Before uh, Franco Russo in the 80th minute uh, got an equaliser. And then on loan, Takefusu Kabu from Real Madrid. He got the winning goal in the 91st minute. So, which is Atletico Madrid's first defeat at home. Um, it was it was a result that no one was really expecting. But fair play to Real Mallorca. They got the win there. Uh, Rayo Vallecano, although... Although having no shots on target, they managed to win their game 1-0 against Espanyol, uh, thanks to obviously an own goal from Leandro Cabrera. Uh, they obviously, they're still doing well this season, um, obviously in the top half. Elche, they played Cadiz and that game finished 3-1. Levante, they played at a 0-0 draw with Osasuna, so obviously Levante, they're still without win this season. Valencia, they got a 2-1 win after going 1-0 down thanks to Iago Aspas in the 11th minute. Uh, goals from Hugo Duro and Maximiliano Gomez got them a 2-1 win. And then Getafe, they played out a 0-0 draw with Athletic Club who haven't uh, won a game since beating Villarreal back in October. So yeah, their form was um, dipping a bit and yeah, they haven't won too many. So yeah, that's a quick... Quick roundup of the games there. I'll just quickly go through the table ones again. So, obviously, Levante, they still remain rock bottom. Six points from safety without a win on eight points. Getafe on 19th with 11 points. And Cadiz there, 18th with 12 points. Um, in sixth place, we have Rayo Vallecano. They're on 27 points. Real Sociedad, they are on 29 points. Sorry, um, obviously, Real Madrid, they beat them 2-0 over the weekend. Uh, Real Madrid is still in good form. Atletico Madrid, after that defeat, they are level points as well with Real Sociedad, but they have a um, far superior goal difference. Uh, third place is Real Betis, who are quietly doing well this season. And second place, we have Sevilla uh, on 31 points. And then eight points in front, we have Real Madrid on 39 points. So I th- I, I'm going to probably say now uh, Real Madrid will probably win the league this season. Um they're playing the until he's come back in there and yeah he's got he's getting getting all these wins he's, they've only lost once so far this season and they're scoring quite a lot of goals as well so 
they're going to be the team to beat um, and they're slowly starting to break away from the teams below them. So, yeah, that's what's happening in um, La Liga as well. Yeah, no, I think um, someone like... Um, I, forgot, I forgot his name now. The the young star for Real Madrid has been really good this year. Um, oh, um, Vinicius Junior. Yeah, yeah, he's been good this year, this season. Um, he's obviously, he's got more goals than he did the previous season. So, yeah, he's obviously chip, chipping in a bit more. Um, obviously, Benzema did go off injured in the first half against Real Sociedad. So, I'm not too sure how long he's out for. But Luka Jovic, um, obviously, he's come back into the side as their main striker. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he can get a bit, a bit of run of form because I think they were looking to sell him. But, yeah, they're going to have to obviously stick with him until Benzema comes back from injury. Fantastic. Um, before we do go, I want to um, thank everyone who's listening for watching our YouTube channel. We've now... Our subscriber count has really, really tripled and quadrupled since our last podcast. Um, of course, Ryan and Naeem did go to watch the Lisbon derby at the um, Stage, Stage More Light in Benfica to watch Sporting Lisbon play Benfica. Um, our, our video for that one um, has currently, at time of time of recording, 34,933 views and 837 likes with over 250 comments. So just want to <laughs> say a huge thank you to everyone this, who has been watching the the video i think that's an amazing amazing view count we've got so i just want to thank everyone for for watching it and we do really appreciate it and hopefully you know once this variant seems to go um we'll, we'll be allowed back and sort of do more stuff like that um unfortunately a lot of those comments were people um <laughs> specifically sporting fans <laughs> going a bit mad at me and naeem for referring to them sporting lisbon which is not in fact their name so yeah i, I did <laughs> see that yeah Oh, well, I mean, obviously they are known as Sporting Lisbon in the UK yeah. primarily, but um, we won't make that mistake again. I'm just going to refer to them as Sporting in future. Yeah, I, I don't blame the Sporting Lisbon fans. I mean, I mean, <laughs> no, I just don't. I, them. I know, I don't on purpose. Uh, no, I don't blame you because I had a similar thing with AC Milan fans because apparently you're not meant to call them AC Milan because in, yeah. in Italian AC just means football. Well, guess what? There's two Milans in your fucking town, <laughs> so I'm gonna call you AC Milan. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny because anyone who obviously um, everyone who will know we've got an NFL podcast and we obviously we call it across the pod as based on across the pond and also I've put on a few sort of um, Facebook groups and people I think they think I'm American they go across the pond that's Seattle but actually was uh, they seem to forget that we're actually a British podcast so um so yeah um <laughs> it's, um, our yeah, best. it's been a really good last few few weeks with um with the um with a view count, but how was the experience for you two? How was the experience of what of um, the Lisbon Derby for you two? Um, yeah, so obviously me and you went to Benfica, um, Andy, was about a year ago now. Um, obviously mm. at the time they were playing the team in the bottom of the league and um, there, but yeah, 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 the atmosphere was a completely different. To be fair, the sporting Lisbon fans, yeah, they didn't really stop singing throughout the whole ninety minutes. Um, the seats that we had were. It was three rows from the front, so he had a good, good close up view there. Um, saw two Sporting Lisbon goals down at that end, but yeah, obviously, the uh, Benfica fans, yeah, they weren't really too happy. Obviously, when it went 3 0, people started leaving. Um, obviously, the white handkerchiefs came out. Um, when Everton came off as well, he didn't really get he got kind of jeered off as well. Um, but yeah, it was a good experience. Um, it was a good derby as well. Um, really want to go back to the return leg because obviously. In the YouTube video, people have said to come to the return leg to obviously see a better atmosphere. So it'd be, yeah, it'd be good to go to that as well. And yeah, the stadiums are so near each other. It's about a five-minute drive. Yeah, wow. it's, 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 it's funny because I, I recorded a bit in which Sporting's goal, one of their goals was disallowed. And I didn't put it in the video just because of the, the, obs, the obscene language. <laughs> Um, and all the middle fingers that were up, I thought it was a little bit too too extreme. I mean, they got an absolutely mad just because, you know, I think Sporting were already 2 0 up at that point, so it didn't really yeah, they were, yeah. didn't matter. I mean, Benfica were absolutely shite. I mean, they were a lot better last night, to be fair to them, against Dinamo Kiev, but that game was awful. But yeah, like, like Naeem said in the comments, everyone, especially Sporting fans, are saying the Sporting atmosphere is incredible someone sent me a, a link to a video and on there it does look you know incredible so we will 
go to that one and a lot of people as well weren't happy that we called it the biggest game in Portugal because apparently it's not it's apparently it's Benfica against Porto so well we've got to go to that one as well <laughs> so certainly a lot of games to um to look forward to let's say yeah. that way and mm. um obviously if I can't make it um if my commitments are high, tied up again then you will you have a great time I'm sure regardless but yeah that has been our podcast for this week so thank you everyone for listening to our podcast um so obviously we'll be back next week for more European chat. And obviously we'll know by then which the last team to make the Champions League is after today's game. And yeah, we'll just be in next week for more European chat. So I have been your host, Andy. This has been Alex. This has been Ryan. And this has been Naeem. And this has been Jonathan. So we'll see you next time. Ciao, guys.